Since I started following Jesus, I've been having really conflicting emotions. People around here just really hate Christians, and I would know uh, I was one of them. It's a little intimidating to know what it really costs to love Jesus, but on the other hand, this is also a really exciting time. I feel like I'm doing something in my life that matters, that really matters. I know I'm unworthy, but I'm honored to be a part of something so big. I'm Philip, and I am the church. I want to begin by thanking you, not just for being here on a rainy day, but for handling the uh, seating situation so well. Uh, I know a lot of you are sitting in cramped places and tight places. A lot of you are in the overflow room. I have some good news. We think we're within a month of being back in our auditorium. And I'm thrilled for many reasons because it just pains me to see people who want to come and worship here have trouble finding a place to sit. And yet I've got to admit, I hope that's going to be a problem again in the near future when we move back into the auditorium. But thank you for having a great spirit. Now, speaking of a great spirit, listen to this. I've sure gotten old. I've had two bypass surgeries. Also a hip replacement. Later, new knees. I fought prostate cancer and diabetes. I'm half blind. Can't hear anything quieter than a jet engine. I take dozens of medications that make me dizzy, winded, and subject to blackouts. I have bouts with dementia. I have poor circulation and barely feel my hands and feet anymore. I can't remember if I'm 85 or 92, but thank the Lord, I still have my driver's license. (laughs) How many of you were behind that guy last week? And I like that guy because I like people who focus on what they can do instead of what they can't do. And I like churches like that as well. And I think Jesus does too. Which brings us to the church in the city of Philadelphia. We're in this series titled Seven. We've been reading the real letters of Jesus to seven real churches in a part of the world they would have called Asia. Today we call it Turkey. And if you visit that country, you can visit the ruins of these seven cities. And if you came to the ruins of Philadelphia, there would not be a lot to see. For two reasons. One, it never was a very important city. And two, the ancient city of Philadelphia was built on a fault line, which meant in the first century when this letter was written, in 25 years, that city had 15 different recorded earthquakes, which meant you didn't want to spend a lot of money building fancy things in Philadelphia. You didn't want to spend a lot of money on a fancy house or an impressive temple because it was probably going to fall down 
pretty soon. In fact, you spent more time running away from temples than running into them in Philadelphia unless they came down on your head. And yet in that town, there was a church that was building something that would last. Becoming a pillar of a temple that would never fall down. And so with that as a background, let's read the words of Jesus. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to The churches. Now, I hope by now it's pretty obvious that Jesus cares about what's going on in his churches. We've seen this same phrase almost every letter I know your deeds. Jesus walks among his churches and keeps up with what they're up to. Now, That's important because I find today a spirit of many people that have a lower view of the church than Jesus did. You hear a lot of people say things like, well, I'm into Jesus. I'm very spiritual, but I don't want anything to do with the church. We want to go straight from the perfect Christ in chapter 1 of Revelation all the way to perfect heaven in chapter 4 of Revelation and forget chapter 2 and 3, which admitted is a story of a very imperfect church. But Jesus doesn't skip chapter 2 and 3. Jesus cares about those churches. Jesus walks among those churches. And I would suggest, because they belong to him, you need to be very careful dissing what Jesus cares about. How can you say that you love the head, but you hate his body? Guys, try that at home today. Say to your wife, honey, I love your face. I can't stand the rest of you. And see how far you get. See, Jesus cares about the church for this reason. The church is the key to Christ's mission. Through the church, with all of her flaws, Jesus is building something that will last. He asked his disciples, who do you say I am? Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, now upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Jesus says, I'm going to build something that will last. 
I am going to build something that is going to challenge the illegitimate dominion of my enemy and reestablish my sovereignty on the earth that I created in the first place. Satan loves to promote the irrelevancy of the church because he knows what Jesus is doing through her. And so, for example, last weekend, several of us were visiting some churches doing some great stuff out west. And we went to Las Vegas. I've never been to Las Vegas. They call it Sin City. We didn't go to the Strip. We went to a church, a church that last year baptized over 1,000 people. And let me tell you their attitude. You see it in one of their windows. And I took a picture. What happens in Vegas can change the world. Wherever the church is, at the very gates of hell, it is a threat to the enemy. And I hope this series is helping you see the church from heaven's perspective. In Ephesians chapter 3 and in verse 10, Paul says, God's purpose was that through the church, all the rulers and the powers, he means the good ones and the bad ones, in the heavenly world will know God's wisdom, which has so many forms. Do you understand that through the imperfect church, God is giving a lesson to spiritual beings of his wisdom? Because the church, our church, with all its flaws, with all our flaws, is building up the reputation of God. Even when the church has no reputation of her own. Boy, the church in Philadelphia did not. Now, there were some famous churches back then. The church in Ephesus was famous. If they had a church growth workshop, you would have gone to it. Jesus said the church in Sardis has a reputation, although he said you're dead. You just don't know it yet. But nobody ever talked about the church in Philadelphia. And Jesus said, I know that you have little strength, but you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. And he means the name Jesus. You didn't play tricky games when people asked, do you believe in God? You didn't act ambiguous. You said, I believe in Jesus, who is the son of God. And it cost them. They were kicked out of families, the marketplace, the synagogue. Jesus says those Jews there that think they're Jews and don't act like it, they're making trouble for you, aren't they? Everywhere you go, people are closing doors to you. But Jesus says, I want to tell you something. I got a key. And I'm going to open a door for you that nobody can shut. All he found in that little church was faithfulness. But that's all he was looking for. It was the kind of church a young boy would go to after college. His first church, little. Nobody else wants to go there. You stay just a few years until you get the call to a bigger church. It was that kind of church. But Jesus said, here's the deal. You did what you could and you said what you should. And I noticed. And I think we undervalue how much Jesus values joyful obedience and faithful witness. Back in 1977, NASA launched a little spacecraft called Voyager 1. It was supposed to get to Jupiter, maybe Saturn, take a few pictures, send some information back. Well, the little thing keeps going. 
It's been going now for over 11 billion miles. 25 years later, it's about to leave the solar system, and it's still sending back pictures and information. It has an eight-track recorder on it. No one under 25 knows what I just said. And it's computer memory. Well, let me put it this way. Your iPod is 100,000 times more powerful. And yet, dollar for dollar, NASA's never made a better investment. The little thing just keeps doing what it could and doing what it should, doing what it was created to do. See, it's a myth that a church has to be big and powerful and famous to be effectual. It is faithfulness that is the key to fruitfulness. Jesus says, do what you can. Say what you should. Wherever you are, I'll notice And if you steward small opportunities, I will open the door to greater opportunities. But it's key to believe that Jesus has the key and that he is opening up kingdom possibilities all around us. And I would suggest to you, loved ones, that all around you are open doors because Jesus has the key if we have the faith to see them. So just last Monday, for example, one of our ministers, Carrie Branscombe, has a a person in the older singles class that had a tree that was about to fall over and hurt their house, and he needed to get it down. And so he went over there with his little chainsaw doing what he could, cutting a few limbs. And the next thing you know, this van pulls up and three people hop out. They're a tree service. Let us help. He said, I'm sorry, I'm a minister. I don't have any money. No, God told us that we were supposed to help someone cut down a tree for free. And Carrie says, well, at least I'll buy your lunch. They said, no, God said we're supposed to do it for free. And they go to work and they know what they're doing. And as they're working, Carrie says, how's your business? And they said, it's been really bad. 15 minutes later, she gets a phone call and she starts to talk on her cell phone and she starts to cry. And Carrie says, you got a job, didn't you? And she said, yes, we did. And he was able to pray over them and bless them in Jesus' name. Because when you just show up and do what you can and say what you should, God opens doors. Or last weekend, one of our young couples, Robert and Lindsay Kinsey, they go to New York City and he's got his bib there because he's been training four months to run the New York City Marathon. And then he gets there and finds out there's not going to be a marathon. Now, Robert goes to run with World Vision. That's the shirt he's wearing. That's an awesome organization that does deeds of mercy all over the world in Jesus' name. And he's there with a whole team of people from World Vision as far away as Australia. And they're all the way to New York. And the marathon's canceled. So what are they going to do? Well, they realize a door's been opened. So they find the World Vision warehouse that has food and water and blankets in it. Because a lot of people out there don't have food and they don't have water. They have no electricity, so their houses are cold. So they're able to go out in the name of Jesus to people hardest hit by Hurricane Sandy and pass this stuff out. Now, Robert goes up to New York thinking people are going to be handing him food and water while he runs. And instead, he gets to hand out food and water in the name of Jesus. And a local news market hears about it. He gets to tell the whole city about what Jesus is doing in New York. Because when you show up and just do what you should and say what you should, Jesus opens doors. The problem is not a lack of open doors in your life. The problem may be closed eyes. 
All around us, Jesus is opening up opportunities for people of faith to partner with him to build something that's going to last. Later in chapter 3 of Ephesians, Paul would write, Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. More than you can imagine. More than you have the faith to ask for. God can do it through Christ and through the church. And so when everything around us is shaking, we hold on. Because we know who holds the keys. Or at least I hope we do. But you know, a lot of churches are acting like Satan holds the keys. They're spending their time hiding behind their walls instead of marching through doors. And the best way to recognize them is they only attempt feeble things that they can do in their own power. And that's why I remind you of the very first lesson from this series. A church's vision will never be more compelling than her vision of Jesus is. Who is Jesus? You understand that Jesus is the key reason to do the not doable. That doors are open not because we're so smart, because we have so many resources, because we've made such great plans. But doors are open because Jesus has the keys and Satan doesn't anymore. And so, for example... When Paul comes back from his first missionary journey, it says Acts 14, 27, on arriving there, they gathered the church together. They reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Now, Paul is always seeing open doors, even when other people could not see them, because Paul understood That an open door doesn't necessarily mean an easy path. He wrote to the Corinthians in chapter 16. He's in Ephesus and he explains why he's going to stay. There's a wide open door for a great work here. Although many oppose me. You see that what seems like a contradiction but not to Paul. There must be an open door here because Satan's trying so hard to close it. Or in Colossians chapter 4, verse 3, he writes from prison and he says, Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. He says, Satan's got me in chains. That must mean he's trying to keep me from going through a door. Help me see it. And he did see it. In fact, he would write later from that same prison to the Philippians, the whole Praetorian guards heard the gospel. Those were the guys that protected Caesar. And every single one of them heard the good news because even in chains, Paul had faith to see an open door. Like Linus. Charlie Brown is on the pitching mound. Bases are loaded. Linus comes out to give him a pep talk. Charlie Brown says, Linus, we're doomed. And Linus says, no, Charlie Brown. We're simply surrounded by insurmountable opportunities. (laughs) Listen. If you can go through the door on your own without any faith, then that's not a door Jesus opened. 
Because you do understand that the faith that makes sense in the end is the kind of faith that made no sense at the time. It made no sense for a 100-year-old man to try to get a 90-year-old woman pregnant. It made no sense for a teenage boy with a slingshot to take on a giant. It made no sense for a prophet on a mountain to call down fire or for a fisherman to get out of a boat and try to walk on water. The faith that makes sense in the end is the kind of faith that made no sense at the time. That's why I love Harvest Weekend. Because it's a challenge to our church to step through a door and do more than it makes sense for us to believe we can do. In impossible economic times and the worst recession of our lifetime, we're going to increase the number of missionaries we put in the world. We're going to start new churches. We're going to get hundreds of our members to go all over the world on short-term missions when they say it's never been more unsafe. We're going to start a college in Africa from Fort Worth. Five years ago, that was just a thought on a piece of paper. Today, we have a sophomore class in Mbali. Going to chapel every day. Going to business class in computer lab. And there's so much more that needs to be done. And I'll tell you right now, the only way it'll get done is if God shows up. But I'm going to march through the door. I believe churches should do more than they're able to do. Because they think key thoughts. Because their vision of Jesus is so compelling. Their vision of what can happen is as well. And speaking of that vision of Jesus, look again at chapter 1, verse 18. I'm the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. Jesus does. Let me tell you something. If Satan still held the keys, there'd just be one door open and it would go to hell. There is no reason for anyone hearing my voice right now to wonder about your eternal destiny. There is no reason for anyone to leave this room today not knowing that the door has been opened and you can go through it to the throne room of God. Jesus has the keys. In fact, at the end of this service, I'm going to give every single one of you a chance to walk through that door. But you have to believe that he's got the keys. They didn't after he died. The Bible says the disciples met in a room and they locked the doors because they were afraid. But you turn a few pages in the Bible and these same guys are standing before kings and before emperors and they're being thrown into prison and they're being beaten and they won't stop talking. They won't stop doing what they can. They won't stop saying what they should and they're turning the world Upside down. And what happened? Because the resurrected Christ showed up and the resurrection is a key swapper. And the reason the door is open is because Christ is risen. 
And that's why we have a harvest weekend. That's why I ask you to give bigger and bolder and braver than you ever had before. Because I'm asking you to be a part of building something that is going to last. I got a card in the mail recently. From a little girl in our neighborhood that goes to the school that we sponsor nearby. Dear Pastor Ashley, thank you for my school supplies. I'm in fifth grade now, and you have bought my supplies since kindergarten. I really thank you a lot this year because my daddy lost his job in August. And I'm asking Jesus to bless you a lot for helping me. I love you, Pastor Ashley. And it just made me think how many boys and girls and men and women around the world are praying That God would bless us so that we will keep going through the door. That's why we have an offering. It's our chance to build what will last. So pray with me, please. And so, Father, now in Jesus' name, I I first thank you. Thank you that you're asking us To help you build a temple that will never come down. To erect pillars that will never be shaken. A house of God that no one will ever have to run out of. And you're asking us to help you build it. Thank you. Give us faith to see it. Being built here in Fort Worth and in New York City and Uganda and all over the world. It's getting built right now. Give us courage to want to be a part of it. And give us joy to know that we do something that matters. Thank you, God, for a chance to reestablish the sovereign reign of Jesus on the earth that He created, that has always belonged to him open our eyes to see all the doors in Jesus name Amen